Imagine this. You're a radio DJ, and things are going pretty good. Then suddenly you're a cab driver. But not a regular cab driver, a famous cab driver. Your cab is tricked out with crazy lights in the ceiling. You ask your fares questions, and then award their right answers with cash. So who are you, and what changed the game for you? Let's find out. You're listening to Game Changers, the podcast series with Brittle Star. Today's guest, Adam Grove. So, hey, Adam, thanks for uh, being on the podcast. Uh, my pleasure. I am very regular, just to be sure. I'm, I'm famously regular. <laughs> Not in the way that you're thinking right now. Just well, at, in, I, in terms of being average, I think that you actually use the same kind of thing <laughs> that I use as a, as, a, as a branding. Like I used to always say I'm tragically average. Right. Well, you know, what's really funny is that I was uh, at an event and this uh, uh, woman uh, who worked for Fender Guitars said to me, uh, you're wildly average. And I thought, that's fantastic. Oh, that was it. That was what I saw. Right. Yeah. Wildly yeah. average. Yeah. And wildly average. And then uh, I, t- I said, I'm going to turn that into a T-shirt. And I did. <laughs> and, and they're they're plain. They're average. Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. Just, just an just average to, t-shirt. Just to live to the brand. It can't be too exactly. fancy. <laughs> Nothing fancy, <laughs> slightly distressed, but not edgy. Yeah. No, exactly. Uh, so listen, so this podcast, of course, is called Game Changers, and uh, we want to talk about the people, places, and or opportunities uh, who helped make you the amazing man you are and famously regular uh, in all manners. Um, so was there a specific point in your career uh, where you thought, okay, this this person, place, or thing is is really going to change things. Well, Cash Cab obviously was a huge change. Yeah. Uh, it was a massive game changer for for me as a comedian and a, and as an actor. But before we get to that, I'm going to take <laughs> you back to the youth, the young. Because when I when I thought about game changers and the people, I, I wanted to trust my instincts on this. Yeah. In terms of. Who immediately leapt to mind when I think right. about who made a difference in my life? Yeah. And one of those people was the vice principal at a high school that I wanted to change to when I was 14 years old. Really? Now, now you might not think, what does that have to do with your profession, Adam? Well, it, you know, the, the short version of it is I wasn't in a desperate situation, but I on my own, and my family still talks about this, decided to switch high schools between grade really? nine and grade 10. I, I didn't tell anybody. Why? Well, because I was going down a pathway with my current friends that I didn't think was where I wanted to go. And it wasn't desperate. I wasn't like, you know, heavily, you know, addicted to drugs or getting, you know, deep into crime. But the the hints were there that that was on my horizon enough. And I just knew in my heart that's not where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And so I just went and met. And the reason I thought of this VP, his name was Mr. Lidster. Uh, no, in, it wasn't. At, yeah, Mr. Lidster, right at Eric Camber Secondary in Vancouver. Right. I went and met with him, and it was August. And he said, "You know, listen, son, thanks for coming in, uh, but uh, you know the the uh, enrollment is set. You don't even yeah. live in our catchment area. I yeah. can't help you." But I was able to convince him that he needed to make an exception. Wow. And he admitted me. And for me, you know, eventually the short story is eventually I was on student council doing the morning announcements at that school. I thrived, you know, socially and academically. Right. And that was my first foray into doing stand up. I was right. hosting events for the in the auditorium. I was make, mm-hmm. writing bits for the, you know, the morning announcements, uh, yeah. you know, some of them 
not so good. And other than others that, you know, teachers still, uh, you know, would remember some of the stuff that I wrote. And so for me, it wasn't like I wasn't desperate. I, I, I would have been OK. But he, for me, you know, subconsciously has rep- has represented, uh, you know, giving people a chance right. and seeing an opportunity to go, you know what? The rules say I should not let this student come here. But right. I, I'm sensing that there's an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that to me was a game changer. And it, you know, was personal, but it also, you know, may, if I had stayed at my other high school, would I have been on student council doing all those sticky things and getting into like comedy? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Yeah. Remember that whole fiasco with United Airlines hauling that passenger off? Yes. Yeah, and yeah. they played by the rules and their, you know, initial defense was that that's how it happens. And people were like, you know, in the moment, yeah. <laughs> you have to make decisions that yeah. are sometimes not what is the top down policy. Exactly. We're counting on you as humans. And that's where I'm kind of <laughs> at right now. I kind of like, you know, there are rules and we are expected to follow rules to a certain degree. Uh, and not necessarily free to break them whenever we think it's, yeah. you know, to our convenience. But, you know, think think of the opportunities and what can what positive can come out of potentially a negative situation. That's I think that's lesson. really interesting. I mean, I think we I have this conversation a lot with uh, our kids and Shannon, my wife, tries to uh, restrain me from saying it too much to make sure that they, you know, just in case they take it the wrong way. But exactly <laughs> what you're saying about how... Uh, you know, there there are policies and rules and, and all that kind of thing. But for the right reasons, all of those rules and policies can bend. Yeah. They can all, they can all, and especially if it's for good, you know, yes. if it's going to, I think it's, it's people can kind of go, you know what? That's okay. We'll make an exception. Yeah. And that's not something you realize when you're growing up necessarily. Rudy Boutignol was the head of TVO uh, before Cash Cab when I was, you know, Doing, uh, you know, comedy, I was a headliner and I was doing commercials and dabbling in different things here and there. And an opportunity arose for me to do some live television at TV Ontario, which is the, you know, a classic potential career breaker, you know, because I was going on, you know, on air begging for people to call in with money to support with TV money, Ontario. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's even my my family who I'd already had just for laughs. I, I was an established comedian by this yeah. time. Um, they were like, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. And uh, I really saw it as an opportunity to, you know, do some live TV. And I did it for about five years part time, you know, in different campaigns. And it was like four cameras, no script, no teleprompter, director in my ear, just go, you know, and just right. like the interstitials in between programming, which was, just, right. you know, totally a rush. If you've ever done live TV before, it's just, uh, you know, it's like radio and that. Yeah. kind of took me back to my roots and I know you opened with I started in radio but radio was live and you just the mic is on the camera's right. on you and you just go yeah. and so Rudy gave me an opportunity eventually to produce the show and I really looked up to him in terms of how he managed people you know because mm-hmm. in radio unless you're a manager you're as a DJ like you mentioned I was you know working adult contemporary radio stations doing more right. drive eventually you're kind of in your own little bubble doing your own thing but you're not sure you know bending the rules all the time kind of again you know, only yeah. when you can creatively get away with it and I got reprimanded for certain things in in radio um but then uh you know as a stand-up for sure you're like a maverick like it's yeah you know break the rules and you know as a comedian i'm like one of the least rule-breaking comedians you know in of that genre right right and so you know for me to kind of be in charge of a team and, and produce was new experience for me and so he was a game changer to me in terms of me looking to him in terms of how to lead and how to manage people and so here's here's the question yeah. then and do you feel there's 
multiple game changers in people's lives. Like oh yeah, think- because I I literally saw your topic and mm-hmm. I narrowed it down to three. I haven't right. even talked about my third one yet, and that gets to cash cap. But you know, I I think it's a brilliant topic because there's not necessarily times in your life or people like every month or yeah. even every year. But if you really think about you know the people that you've uh, you know been inspired by or have mentored you, whether mm-hmm. you worked with them or know them, or they're in your family, whether it be professional or personal, or whether they be celebrities or you know keynote speakers, there actually starts to be quite a few people. When yeah. you think about it. Uh, and so for me, I kind of like wanted to boil it down to the ones that were not, these individuals weren't necessarily the do or die, make or break, right. but they represented different arenas in my life and why the VP, Mr. Lidster was kind of personal in my youth. And then Rudy Boutignol was a, a leadership mentor in terms of how right. I would like to manage people. And I also do a leadership communications coaching. And I've been doing that for 15 years, going into you know North American companies, teaching yeah. CEOs how to do better presentations and lead better meetings. So to me, to kind of have uh, you know my own leadership mentors was also important with the intellectual property of, of the lesson plan. And then when it came to Cash Cab, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the people that were involved in casting me uh, collectively are the group of game changers. I mean, right. they really had no deep knowledge of Adam Grow. It was like, he's a, he's an, a, he's a comedian. He's got a couple of great credits. His audition yeah. was, you know, great, but literally, you know, the executive producer, uh, Andrew Bernstein at Castlewood mm-hmm. Productions and, uh, the producer and director of the show, Sharon Ostrovsky saw me twice live before right. casting me. And then they right. had to sell me to Bruce Glosson at Discovery, uh, so the three of them together really said, we got a good gut on this guy and we're going to go for him. Because, uh, you know, when you're auditioning for a show, there's not a lo- there's no real long six month trial, you know, so yeah. you can get you can take into the tech rehearsals. We could have got deep into the rehearsals and it could have been like, no, terrible. He, he's done. Yeah. And so when I look at those three, you know, when we got into season three or four, I was on mm. a four season contract. And it was Sharon Ostrovsky, who's now a, a CEO of her own production company, right. who really, you know, Andrew and Bruce were absolutely fantastic. They went to bat for me, but she worked the most closely with me right. over that period of time. And so I had to renegotiate my contract to get another four seasons. And, you know, mm-hmm. in television, you know, two to four seasons, it's great. Yeah. But, you know, you know, it could have easily disappeared into the ether of absolutely. TV land. So to eventually get eight seasons... The brand is still alive, even still today. We're in repeats. Yeah. I don't, I'm not even making any new episodes. And I, I'm very confident that it was Sharon in particular that, was, that just had my back. And she yeah. went to bat for me because she really understood me working so closely with me. So she was a real game changer in making sure that I got those other four seasons. And uh, eventually she surrendered the, the producer-director role to someone else, who uh, James Vanderwater, who was also really fantastic. But she, to me, was a, a more recent professional game changer because right. at that pivotal moment, they could have said, you know, because I was getting more and more expensive as the seasons yeah, went on yeah. and they was like, is he worth it? I mean, this yeah. is meant to be cheap and cheerful Canadian television. I mean, right. you know, we could get another comic at this point right. in time. And realistically they could totally could have. Yeah. You, you know, like, like you though. I mean, I, well, I, think- I, I like to think that, but you know, I, I have to be realistic. There's a, a lot of talented men and women out there that could, that could host a show like that. I'm, you know, you, you and I have joked in the past because I had kids as well. Yeah. I think one of the main reasons that I, I was, I got it over a lot of other really talented people is because at the time I had three young children. So I was used to driving around and handing <laughs> snacks out and yelling and breaking up fights yeah. and a lot of great, uh, you know, actors, comedians, uh, and hosts don't, didn't have children. 
And right. so, you know, to drive a car and to host a game show was like, oh, yeah. okay. It's like patting the head and rubbing the belly. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, they that's didn't a have good that visual on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they didn't have that experience of uh, turning around and going, I-, I can turn this car around right now. Mm-hmm. I will stop this car. Yeah. And I, I never really had thought of kicking my own children out of the car. And it wasn't until Cash Cab that I realized <laughs> when there's a car, I should just pull over and kick them out. That's right. Get out. And Find it was like, so family. it was such a release. I was living vicariously. <laughs> and then, you know, the producer in my ear would be like, no, Adam, they haven't struck out. You can't get, I'm kicking them out. <laughs> this is for all the times I wish I kicked my own children. Uh, not to mention my wife. No, that's not true. That's not I never true. wanted to kick her out of the car. So thinking back to uh, Mr. Lidster, which still I can't get over that name. Yeah. Did you, I'm sure you used that name to start a uh, Southern classic rock band, didn't you? Afterwards? Yeah. 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 Def you went, you, uh, <laughs> no, Mr. Lidster and you opened up for Leonard Skinner. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you said you weren't really necessarily aware of the impact that that had. But then as you went on, uh, you had these other experiences with people who were game changers for you. Did you see it as game changing? Like, did you sort of like look at those people and these opportunities as you went through and you got to like the cash cab thing and the producer cash cab and thought, OK, this person is going to change things for me? Well, reverse engineering it. You know, uh, I said, you know, one of the reasons I think I got cash cab is because I had kids. But the other reason is not only being a comic uh, and having to think on my feet, but those five years of doing several campaigns at TV Ontario where I had to be live in the moment. Right. With a director in my ear and a lot of action happening in in the studio with phones mm-hmm. ringing. You know, a lot of people say, you know, y- you did that TBO thing and that might have hurt your brand a little bit. Well, right. When I was. And, and not only auditioning for Cash Gap, but hosting the show, there's a lot of balls I got to keep up in the air. Mm-hmm. And for me, the most uh, important element was making sure that all of the elements, you know, especially the contestants, shine as bright as they can. Right. And with that experience at TVO, where under the leadership guidance of Rui Boutignol, who gave me an opportunity there, and, you know, the years that I spent, and I, I committed there until the campaigns ended, and they don't do it anymore. Right. That was you know, real legs that helped me in the live because cash cab wasn't live, but it was live to car. Live to, live, yeah. 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 Live to, you know, we were very innovative, uh, you know, for, with the technology in, in right. Canada. And so, you know, you can fudge things in television, but sure. most discerning TV viewers can kind of tell when you're, it's kind of like uh, sweetening, they call it yeah. in, in comedy, adding the laugh tracks or whatever. Right. Honestly, in cash cab, because of the environment that uh, I helped create with the crew and make those contestants comfortable, it really was as much fun as it looks. That's like amazing. There, there was no sweetening. I mean, there was literally games that ended up on the editing floor because we just had too many. And, right. And it wasn't a comedy, but the comedy kind of came out of the moments and, yeah. you know, my little lines or whatever. And so they were able to eventually air it on comedy in, in Canada. Yeah. And so then taking it back to Mr. Lidster, you know, so there was like, you know, the TVO kind of gave me legs for cash cab. And then, and then it was Mr. Lidster kind of going, you know, here's an opportunity. And one of the stories from cash cab that I think about uh, the most is, uh, you know, there were a lot of times where there was conflict and, you know, you know, dicey moments, but one in particular was a, a gentleman who got into the cab and I know we're cutting, cutting this close, but he, he essentially got in, hailed the cash cab, yeah. got in and was really rude with me. Right. 
Like uh, even after he knew it was cash no, cab? No, no. This was prior to the reveal. And, you okay. know, it's a longer story. But, you know, what happens is I, someone hails the cab, they get in, and then I kind of <laughs> fiddle around with them. And I go, hey, where are you going? What are you, what's, what's happening? And then when I feel it's the right time, I yeah. activate a computer screen sitting beside me that triggers yeah. the sound effects and the lights. Okay. So he's progressively getting more and more angry. Why aren't we going anywhere? What's going <laughs> on? He was a big man and he wanted to sit in the front seat. And of course, I can't have him sit there. So I'd no. say, oh, the seatbelt's broken. Go to the back. And he was, you know, a large man. He was. Yeah. He thought I was making fun of him. Like he had oh, to strap right. into a captain's chair in the back of the cash right. cab. Right. He was getting more and more aggravated. He was swearing at me and saying right. rude things to me. Sure. Thinking, you know, just a cab driver. Who cares? Yeah. And I eventually tried the reveal and the computer froze. <laughs> so he was like, what's going on? He was with other people. And he was like, uh, you know, as a individual he was like i was like you're done buddy you're not yeah. going so eventually the producer came up to the cab and opened yeah. the door and said hey this is the tv show uh, we had yeah. technical difficulties here but we want to get you on board and right and they kind of calmed down and they were eventually- but i could have been legitimately a diva i'm not typically yeah. a diva but sure. i could have been like i'm not taking that guy and his people for a ride not a chance yeah but the opportunity i go okay where was he coming from he's a large man he right. was embarrassed right. Uh, maybe he had a bad experience and he was lashing out at me. Fine. He said rude things, but let's just, what's the opportunity here? Right. Took them for the ride. I, I did not be the diva and say, you know, we're done. I got in, I hosted the show. One of the best episodes ever. He was particularly bright. His team was fantastic. One of his team members, and I can never remember the name, is, ended up being, a, you know, not ended up, but he was a famous folk musician. And people right. watched the show and say, you took so-and-so for a ride. I said, I didn't know who it was, whatever. That's hilarious. But they were a fantastic game. Right, right. Fantastic. So, I mean, you're, you're essentially saying that uh, you can take these opportunities and, and you can kind of, you see them and recognize them and kind of create the opportunity that as it presents itself in front of you. So going back to like, um, for example, well, I guess in gen, not even just specifically to your experience, but just do you feel that you can actually create these game changing moments? Can you look at a moment like that and go, I'm going to make this a thing. Do you feel like that, that episode was a game changing moment for you? I think it's, you don't want to overthink it and try to manufacture them. Mm-hmm. The moments will arise organically, but if you're poised Mm-hmm. With the ability to capitalize on those moments when they right. arise, whether it be a challenge, uh, 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 adversity, conflict, or uh, a, a great you know showcase opportunity, something positive. It could be positive or negative. If you're poised from your experience and your approach to capitalize on those opportunities, you can create the opportunities. But you can't go out there and do, like you can put it out there to the universe to a certain degree, but yeah. you don't go out there looking, I'm gonna walk down my street, I'm looking for opportunities here, folks. Any yeah, yeah. opportunities. <laughs> you know, you just wanna be ready. Right. And, and Mr. Lidster, very early on, subconsciously, and then as an adult, when I reflected back, he created that early kind of foundation. Right. When, here's rules, I'm gonna bend them, Let's see what happens here. And then, you know, he never came to me and said, you know, so much as see what, see what I did for your young fella. You're now on student council and doing all this stuff. But he was, you know, he, he would give me a twinkle in his eye. Sure. And he was really, you know, he remembered me for sure by the time I graduated from that school. And so he just, the org, I came to him with an opportunity and he took it. And that's what I want to, you know, do for other people. I think that's wonderful. I mean, one of, one of my, uh, sort of sayings is be someone else's good luck. And, uh, that notion of, uh, you know, if you can make a difference, even if it's a tiny difference in someone's day, that can all, that might be all it takes to send them in a great path. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's certainly with that with Mr. Lidster, I can sort of see that happening for sure. So when you're presented with these moments, like, is there a way for you to look at these things? And is there any telltale signs when you're seeing these opportunities coming up where you're like, oh, this is a moment that I need to uh, I need to jump on because it's going to be good. Well, as you get more senior in your years, you start to have more like reference points like you right. you'll, you'll feel it. Yeah. You yeah. know, there are, there are going to be times and there are times where I have to be talked off the ledge uh, by my wife, for instance, who's a, a, another mentor of mine. Julie is, right. you know, a, a big leader personally and philosophically in my life. Right. And there are times where, I, you know, even as a parent, I look by, I wrote a one man show about it. Right. I wasn't quite the father I thought I was going to be in my early parenting. And I had to kind of like, you know, creatively deal with that. Interesting. And so the more and more experience you have in life, uh, the better you get at telling whether it's an opportunity. Right. And and it is true. It's kind of like stand up comedy on radio. You know, you started with uh, uh, my career in radio and it's live and it's in the moment. And one one of the philosophies in radio professionally is like you make a mistake or uh, if something happens on air, you don't go back to it. It's over. It's It's done. done. Yeah. Right. Unlike a podcast, which is going to be completely polished. You know, I'm just going (laughs) to. No, but radio is like live radio. You're done. Yeah. Same. Same with stand up comedy. Right. There was a very strong parallel, though. When you go on stage, especially as an amateur, you got five minutes. And then one of the things that I was most proud of in my comedy career, again, was hosting. Right. There's not a lot of glamour. Uh, You're often considered a waiter with a microphone when you're the MC at a club, even if you're a headliner. People would often come up to you and say, you're pretty funny. You should think about getting into it. Are you kidding? (laughs) Tonight I'm the MC, usually. And so there were times in radio and there were times in comedy and there still are. When I come off the stage and I go, oh, missed it. There was a moment there. Right. right. And those are the ones that are like, oh. Yeah, yeah. And more and more I capture them. I did a corporate gig recently where, uh, and I, I, we don't have time for the whole story, but I, I found uh, an opportunity organically arose. Right. That it was not just, you know, going to be me doing my quiz show kind of uh, fun comedy interactive or my stand up. There was a real opportunity to, with two of the people in attendance, mm-hmm. because of a, a big faux pas that had happened during an award ceremony, okay. that I saw it and I, I committed to it because it could have easily been like the organizers, like, you know, don't do anything extra here. But it ended right. up, it was the two of them became massive stars of the show, as opposed right. to the two of them and their circles leaving feeling, ooh, that was awkward. Right, ooh, right. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I capitalized, and, and as the host, I didn't make it about me, I made it about them, and like literally shivers up and down my back. Yeah. Standing ovation for these guys. I can't get into the full details, but um, it was just, that was a moment where I was so proud coming off the stage going, I didn't cop out. And I saw yeah. it in the moment when, while I was performing and made it happen. And well, that's an interesting angle on that. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, who knows what that moment did for those people in, in long terms. Maybe you do know. It's apparently a long story. Um, but, you know, I think that people can realize that they can be someone's game changer. They can sort of like look at, at opportunities from both sides of it, not just for yourself, but also for, okay, this person's coming to me or I'm engaged in this person in some manner. Uh, how, you know, is this an opportunity for me to help them? Is this an opportunity for me to do something that's going to have a positive impact on them? Uh, I think that's fantastic. I think that's really, really interesting. And what um, was the, what was the wording that you used that you like to, the... uh, be someone's good luck is what right. I say. And so yeah. be someone's good luck. And for me, it's like, I don't need them to, to know, uh, and consciously no. be aware of that moment. 
Yeah. Right. There are, yeah. you know, there are times where, you, you know, you'll get the actual recognition and there are times where you might have created an opportunity and uh, yeah. then the good luck for somebody and, and they will never know. Yeah. And that's okay. Every, everyone has an opportunity to be a Mr. Lidster. Yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, man. I really appreciate the story. So tell me, uh, what are you working on currently that you're super excited about? Well, I, so many things. Brittle star. Well, I, you're a busy man. Uh, I know. Well, one of the things I'm very excited about is I'm shopping around a series, uh, mm-hmm. probably an a la Netflix type of series, but yeah. it's what in the industry is called off brand. Oh. So it's not a comedy. Okay. And I wouldn't even be in it. And I'm just begging that if anybody is in fact interested in it, well, we're shopping it around to people like Netflix that I yeah. would be involved creatively in some capacity, uh-huh. but uh, it's a scripted uh, series, uh, drama sci-fi which is completely not, I'm a game show host, stand up <laughs> comic. What are you doing? What are you writing? So I wrote a, an, a series treatment for this, which originally was a screenplay treatment based on an idea that's been swimming around in my head for a long time. And I constantly was making notes on it and I literally have been working on it on and off because you, you still have to make a living. So yeah, I absolutely. put it on the back burner and then I yep. would get to it. And I made a goal to, to get a treatment done by, um, the end of last month and got it to my agent. And so we're just in the early stages. So I'm very excited about what might happen with that, whether anything, but creatively, you know what it's like just to actually get it out of your brain. Oh yeah. Into a key, into a keyboard or some people used to do is actually write things down is a massive achievement. Like when people say to me, I've I've written my first draft of a novel. I'm like, you are God. Like, you know, it's like, so (laughs) it's hard. And so for me to write a series treatment. And so the other thing that I've done, um, that is really, uh, you know, off brand is I, I have become a certified Red Cross first aid instructor. Really? Yes. And so that's another long story. But what I'm trying to do with that is not only be practical and help people learn how to, you know, yeah. um, save lives and, and provide first aid. But I am crafting something practical out of it. I want to do like a little bit of a sidebar corporate show where people are learning, you know, some of the basic principles yeah. without having to go to a 16 hour, two day certification. Well, I was going to say, are like people showing up at like their local church basement and it's you that's leading the class? I, I am teaching classes like that. No to, way. Yeah, absolutely. Because I want to, I want to be so solid in the knowledge that yeah. when I take it to, and it would still be a workshop, like it would still be Red Cross, but it wouldn't be yeah. like, like if I'm at a corporate conference and I'm entertaining and I'm hosting the gala, I'm doing my quick show during the day there might be a breakout in the plenary session where yeah come and meet adam one of your options is a very fun and entertaining engaging way to learn how to help someone who's choking you know how to save someone's life (laughs) right yeah and so i want to do like an apocalyptic you know with the nuclear bombs you know i want to do something really fun and outrageous like um you know but it would still be legitimate skills I still just, have, uh, yeah. I have memories of, uh, taking, uh, right, the, you know, CPR training and stuff. And I remember a very unusual teacher. We had like a, an odd guy, uh, a really nice guy and a very good teacher, but just like an odd guy. And, uh, it was a, a weird collection of people in the class and those CPR classes as you often get. And, um, one person we were talking about people who have, uh, who are, who are neck breathers, who have like that tracheotomy hole, you know what I mean? With, yeah, like, the yeah, thing. yeah. And, uh, Someone said, you know, what do you do if you see a neck breather drowning? And he just started choking and laughing. And he's like just laughing and laughing and laughing. He goes, you don't find a lot of neck breathers swimming. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
That's comedy gold from the people that are like, you know, you'll get a lot of innocent questions like that. But, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. And so where can people find you? Where's the best place to find you? AdamGrow.com. I love it. Yeah. Simple branding. Simple. It could be like first aid prepper, doomsday, apocalypse, <laughs> series pitching.org. Yeah. No, no. I just, I tried to keep it simple. I mean, I'm on the social media as well, but yeah. um, you know, I'm not, uh, you, you should know. do more social media. I know I, you, I, I would have, I was, I was tempted to bring you up because you are an inspiration. Like uh, honestly, really? you, well, I have a, you know, as you know, a, a love hate relationship with social media. I, I literally with me. No. Well, it's <laughs> the love part is you. Like I literally <laughs> look at people's posts who I like right, and I go, right. who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? You're not an influencer. Right. And you, or whatever. Like, I'm yeah, not yeah. being, I'm not trying to be mean, but I literally look at people who are talented, funny, or sure. I don't know. But you, at least, uh, uh, you know, on occasion, you mix in personal tweets. Like, you tweet yeah, yeah. about how great it was that this cave disaster, you know, yeah. uh, you know, it was, you know, like that personal stuff is great. But for the vast majority of time, you're actually creating content. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. Someone's watching. That's good. No, but I mean, like, (laughs) but most people are like, here's a picture of my walk and the food I ate. And it's like, who cares? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that comes with being like a middle-aged man on social media. And you're like, nobody wants to see me at the beach. You know? (laughs) That's right. I should should be like, uh, you know, tragically average middle-aged man at the beach (laughs) should be my handle. There's probably an audience there, but I don't know if I want it. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks so much for joining. I really appreciate your time coming in and uh, doing Game Changers. And uh, hats off to Mr. Lidster. Lids off to Mr. Lidster. Yeah. Tip a lid to the Lidster. Tip a lid. Thanks so much. Cheers. You've been listening to Game Changers, the podcast series with Bristle Star. 